The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Thank you. Take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 4. We're going to be working our way through this uh, great chapter, um, looking at the life of Deborah and others this morning. I um, want to thank you for the opportunity to come here and just to be with you and to open God's Word. There's nothing that thrills me more than to be able to open God's Word and to explain it. And the great mystery in my life is that God chooses somehow to speak through a broken vessel like me to other people. And that's, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Anyone experienced that before? Isn't that an amazing miracle? So let's pray for another miracle, okay? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we just want to say uh, thank you for what we have done already. We have just come running into this place this morning, anticipating you, expecting you, and declaring our absolute love and dependence on you. I trust you've heard our worship. You've heard our heart cry. We love you. We long for you. Now we need to hear from you. So we submit ourselves underneath the authority of God's word, knowing That when we do that, that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and He does only what He can do. He transforms our lives. So we pray for another miracle today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All of us in this room, our lives, our hearts are full of desires. Some of them are clear to us, some of them are not clear to us, some of them are good desires. Perhaps you're even here today and you don't have all that great of a desire. But our hearts are full of desires. I know this is to be true because I've lived long enough to know that's about true of my life, and I've spoken to enough people to know that's true of their lives as well. We all have hearts that are full of desires. What I also know is true is this, that some of us, when we begin to experience and grow in our understanding of how much God loves us through Jesus Christ, this amazing truth that we in our sin have been saved by God's love and grace. When we begin to that, when we really begin to experience that, we're growing in that experience And we're growing in our understanding of that. Something begins to happen in our hearts. There's a desire that grows larger and bigger than all other desires. And it's this, that somehow my life could be used to glorify God and to make a difference for Him. The more you understand and experience how much God loves you in Jesus Christ, your heart begins to burst, burst with the opportunity to live your life and make a difference for Him. Anyone? So true. It's just absolutely so true. And so that leads me to the question, what kind of person does God really use to make a difference? Ever thought about that? Is it the talented ones? 
rich ones, mature ones, maybe certain people with certain spiritual gifts, maybe they're the ones that God uses to make a difference. What kind of person does God use to make a difference? Well, the story we're going to look at this morning is going to answer that question. In Judges chapter 4, moving into Judges chapter 5, it declares for us the kind of person God wants to use. In Judges chapter 4 is like the actual story. It's kind of like the, what we call the narrative of the story. It tells us, describes for us the story. It, tells us, it introduces us to a woman named Deborah. It introduces us to a man named Barak. It introduces us to another woman named Jael. And then Judges chapter 5 is kind of like the emotional, poetic response, the song of victory that's declared in response to what happens in the story in Judges chapter 4. And so if you want to make a difference for God with your life, you better pay attention this morning because this story is going to tell you the kind of heart, the kind of person that God wants to use. Here's the first thing we need to know as we begin to jump into this story. It's this. Realize, believe that God has a plan that he alone fulfills. God has a plan that he alone fulfills. That's the story of the book of Judges. If you were to read from chapter 1 right through to the end of the book of Judges, you would find a cycle, a repetition that takes place throughout this book. It kind of goes like this. The people did evil in God's eyes, or later on in the book, they, they did what was right in their own eyes. They did evil in God's eyes. God then judges them because they were doing evil in God's eyes. Eventually, they cry out to God and say, God, we need you to deliver us from this. And then God does something amazing. He sends a deliverer. Story after story after story after story repeats this cycle. In other words... God does it all. Right? God does it. Right? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the cycle. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Then... The people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help because he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And then it says at the beginning of verse 4, now, what? Deborah. You see the cycle? Right? What do they do? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then what does God do? He judges them. In this case, he sells them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who had this nasty commander of the army named Sisera, who had these 900 chariots, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Eventually, they cry out to God, and then God gives them who? Deborah. That's the cycle. God does it. In fact, before we read this story, I just want you to, to see, get a feel for the overall kind of theme of chapter 4, when you look, look, at, look at verse 6, just so you get a sense that God's the one who's doing all this. Look at verse 6. It says, um, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Look at verse 7. And then God's saying this to, uh, to uh, through Deborah to Barak, I will draw out, look at the end of verse 7, and, and I will give him into your hand 
Then look at verse 9. For the Lord will sell Sisera. Then go down to verse 14. All right? Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given. Does not the Lord go out before you? Look at verse 15. And the Lord routed Sisera. Then go to the end of the chapter, verse 23. So on that day, God subdued. All right, we're about to read this story that's full of a story about all these different kinds of people, but do not miss the point of this story. God is the one who has a plan, and He is the one alone who fulfills it. Now, I need to believe this, and you need to believe this. God has a plan that He alone fulfills. Man, sometimes we operate like we have a plan that we alone have to fulfill. Some of you here this morning have have little children, right? You have young kids. How many of you have kids under the age of 10? Wow. Be fruitful and multiply. That's awesome. Right? Right, you have you have little kids. You know you know what it's like, right? You get up every day, and your kids depend on you, don't they? They depend on you, right? Do they? They depend on you, and they want you. You you you. They want you to meet their needs, and and you know it's really easy as a parent to kind of begin your live your life to think that you know my the whole thing with my kids here is like this. This is my plan, and I have to fulfill the plan. This is my plan, and I have to fulfill the plan. And you know what's going to happen? One day you're going to wake up probably somewhere around 15 and 16 years old when your kids are around that age, and you're going to begin to realize, oh, I don't have a plan. (laughs) And it's really true. No matter how young our children are or how old our children are, they're in the hands of a God who has a plan that he alone fulfills. God has a plan that, fulf- that He fulfills. I mean, that's the story of Scripture, isn't it? The Bible teaches us that, that sin came into the world, that we are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. Because of that, we, are, we, we have death. That's eternal separation from God. Hell awaits us. It's only because of God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ that we are able to not experience that. And see, the scripture reminds me of this, that that God had a plan. And his plan was was for the Son of God to come to this earth and to take on human flesh and to live a perfect life and then to go to the cross and to sacrifice for me and for you. God had a plan that he alone fulfills. And just as that is true in the history of humanity, so that is true in our individual lives. That that theme, that principle is so true. God is one. He alone is he has this plan and he alone is the one who fulfills. I love what I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He who has began a good work in you will what? He will complete it. Why? Because God has a plan that He alone fulfills. Now, we have got to believe this. 
We have got to totally believe this. We have to trust in this. We have to understand this, that God has a plan that he alone fulfills. So that's the first thing we need to realize from this story. Before Even before we just jump in full out on this, God has a plan that he alone fulfills. Now, understand this. Grasp this truth. God uses whomever he wants and however he wants to fulfill that plan. Right? He uses whomever he wants and however he wants to fulfill that plan. You okay with that? Okay, here's the story. Right? We'll look here in in Judges chapter 4. We're going to begin here in verse 4. And the whole story, we're going to ask ourselves this question. Who is the deliverer in this story? Who is the one who delivers? All right? Well, let's find out. All right, look at, look at verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali. And then she said some things to him. So who's, who's the deliverer? Well, it looks like it's Deborah, right? In verses 4 and 5, she's identified as a prophet. She's a bright light among these people who are fairly messed up. She's the one that they're seeking out godly advice from. She's the one that announces God's word to them. This is not totally foreign or abnormal to the Old Testament or to the Scriptures. You know, Miriam did the same thing in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Huldah did that in 2 Kings 22, verse 14. Noadiah, another woman in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 14, did the same thing. Even Anna, we see Anna in the, in the temple in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, doing similar kinds of things, acting in the same kind of way. But the bottom line is this, the people are seeking her out for the voice of God in their matters. Did you see what it said in verses 4 and 5, that she was leading Israel? It makes you kind of wonder where everybody else is, right? But she's the one that's leading Israel. She's the one that held court. She's the one that solved their disputes. They came to her. They're crying out to her. They recognize that she's God's representative. So when we're reading the story, thinking, oh, yeah, Deborah. Deborah's the the deliverer, right? She's the judge. That's what it means to be a judge in the book of Judges. She's got to be the deliverer. But then she says this in verse 6. She calls Barak out, the son of Abinoam. She says, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. So who's the deliverer? Is it Deborah? No, it kind of feels like it's going to be Barak now, right? Because she says, this is what God says, right? God says, this, you're, the, you're the one that's going to do this, uh, Barak. But, but note what happens in verse 8. He hesitates. See verse 8? Barak says to her, okay, if, if you will go with me, I will go. Right? But if you won't go with me, I won't go. God's just told you. She just said, this is what God says. And he says, hold on a second. If, uh, if you go, okay. But if you're not going to go, I'm not too good about that. In other words, I want to manipulate the results. 
right? You're God's representative. I know God's blessing you. So I figure if you're there with me in battle, there's like no chance in the world we're going to lose. You're like my good luck charm. And so in verse 9, this is what she says to him in response. I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. So who's the deliverer? Well, we saw we could, at the beginning, we think of, well, it's probably going to be Deborah. And then Deborah says it's supposed to be Barak. And Barak hesitates. And then Deborah says, no, it's going to be a woman. So I guess maybe it's Deborah again, right? It's just not. See, God has a plan that he alone fulfills. And he uses whomever he wants, however he wants to fulfill his plan. And so... We're introduced here in verses 11 and following to the deliverer. It's a woman named Jael. We actually were introduced in verse 11 to her husband. Her husband is uh, this guy named Haber, the Kenite. But separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, he pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. In other words, is near where Barak was. If you read further on in the story in chapter 4, we'll get to it in just a few minutes, you'll realize that the Kenites had a treaty with Israel, and it looks like here that, that, um, that Haber is functioning kind of like a secret agent for the enemy. He's got this treaty with Israel, and you'll see later on in verse 17 that somehow Sisera felt safe in his, in his tent because they had a kind of a deal going on. And you'll notice in verse 12, it says, as soon as we're introduced to this guy, Haber, which doesn't make any, we're not really sure why he even mentions this. All of a sudden it says, verse 12, when Sisera was told. We have to kind of read in between the lines a little bit, but if you look at verse 17, okay, look, go down to chapter 4, uh, verse 17, you'll see that how that Sisera, the, when he's fleeing for his life, he go, comes to Heber's tent because there's peace between Jabin, the king of Hazar, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. She's kind of playing both sides here, right? And so here you have Heber, the Kenite. He's probably a spy. He's probably a confidant with Sisera. And so he tells Sisera what's about to happen. And so the battle ensues in verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabar, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. Now, these 900 chariots of iron were designed specifically so that you could chase people who were fleeing from you in battle. In other words, you see these 900 iron chariots coming towards you. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to run. And so they were designed to be able to chase people. And the goal was, as they chased people, they would take them over and kill them. Right? This is an intimidating kind of force. So you have these 900 chariots of iron. And all the men who were with them from Harasheth to Goyim to the river Kishon. And then Deborah says in verse 14, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Let's love that. 900 chariots of iron. And Deborah says, let's go. Let's get them. Now's the time, man. It says, let's go. And that's what they do. So Barak, it says, does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 
10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. You say, wow, what happened? Well, if you flip over to chapter 5, look at chapter 5, verse 20. You say, what, what kind of turned the tables in this story? Well, here in this song that Deborah is writing, in chapter 5, verse 20, it tells us what happened. It says, from heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with a gallop, a galloping of his steeds. What happened? Well, God did what only God can do. He sent a flash flood. And I don't know if you understand this. Chariots of iron are pretty heavy. And if you send a flash flood, what happens to the chariots of iron? They sink. They get stuck. And the horses, you can see the picture here. The horses are trying madly to try to get the chariots out. There's no advancement. There's nothing happened. All of a sudden, the tables get turned. Why? Why? Because God has a plan that He alone fulfills. This is what He does. He just sends this flash flood and and this amazing thing happens. And so it says here in, in this verse that Sisera got down from his chariot and he begins to flee away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hersheth and Goyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Oh, yes. Well, actually, there was one man left. His name was Sisera. His name was Sisera. And this is where the story gets really interesting. We move from the battlefield, and now we move to the tent. It says in verse 17, But Sisera fled away on the foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Haber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rug, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she doesn't give him water, she gives him a skin of milk and gave him a drink, and then she covered him, and he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Haber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And here's the Bible's biggest understatement. (laughs) So he died. I'm just kind of figuring we all kind of got that. (laughs) And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. I just love that. That's an audio-visual. Click. (laughs) So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And there you have it. Okay? Clear as day. God has a plan that he alone fulfills. He uses Deborah. He uses Barak. And ultimately, he uses Jael to fulfill his plan. 
What kind of person does God use to make a difference? Who does he use? Whomever he wants and however he wants. Now, I I have to tell you, this is a really challenging truth for me to wrap my head around sometimes, because honestly, sometimes I'm just not okay with that. Maybe you can feel the same way as I do every once in a while. I mean, sometimes we want to be the ones that God's using, right? To bring about, you know, kingdom results. You got a heart. If your heart's like full to really want to kind of bless God with your life, sometimes there's when your heart is full and you want to bless God with your life. Sometimes you think, "Well, God, use me, please use me." And we have this 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 idea because we're focused on results and we're focused on comparing ourselves with other people. I mean, our whole culture's like that. From when we're little kids, we we think about our grades. We compare grades with one another, or. Uh, with the kind of cars we drive, or the jobs that we have, or the schools that we've attended. We even compare ministries. Sometimes it looks like God is using them more than me, or that they're living out a bigger dream than, I, than the dream that I have. Other people see them as more significant. I actually see them as more significant. What's up with that? This... Truth brings freedom into your life. God has a plan. He's in charge. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, I planted, others watered, but God gave the increase. Right? It's, it's all about God. It's, and, and so this is what I know is true. God has a mission that he alone fulfills, and he uses whomever, however, to fulfill his plan. But this is what I also know is true. God's, the desire of God's heart is that he wants to use people who, are there, who have hearts that are willing to participate in his plan. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. Verse 2. I won't sing it for you. I'll just read it. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves, what's the word? Willingly. Bless the Lord. Look at verse 9. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. God wants to use someone who has a willing heart, wants to participate in his plan willingly. Reminds me of the story of the young boy who heard that his dad wanted to go outside and paint the fence. The little boy was, I don't know, probably under five years old. And so he wanted to help his father, as is the case of Young boys, they wanted to help their dad, and so out they go together. His dad says, sure, fine. He gets them a little paintbrush, and so off they go to the fence, and he's, you know, under five years old, so he's active for about five minutes, you know, and he kind of paints stuff, and he starts painting things, and then then he notices a dandelion over there, and he wanders over to the dandelion, and he notices a bird up in the tree, and his dad follows behind him and continues to kind of, paint the whole thing, you know, the, the boy's willing, wants to participate, he has participated a little, he gets a little bit distracted and all that kind of stuff, but then after about an hour, the job is done, 
And, and the little boy and the father go back into the house, and the little boy announces this to his mother. Mommy, look at what I did. Look at, look what I did. Sometimes I think that's, that's, that's like me and God, or like you and God. But you know, God's okay with that. What he wants is he wants a willing heart. He wants somebody who's willing to participate. And, and as much as we do, it's still ultimately about God. He's the one that alone fulfills the plan. Well, what does it mean to be willing? Well, I'll show you what willingness is not. Right? It's not what Barak did in chapter 4, verse 8. When he hears God's word, the call of God on his life, it's not... I'll do this if I know it works out in my favor in verse 8 of chapter 4. Just go back there. Look at what he said. If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay, remember what he's saying. He's trying to manipulate the results. That's not a willing heart. And certainly not like some of the tribes. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. In part of this song again. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley. They rushed at his heels. But notice this. Among the clans of Reuben, there were what? Great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. In other words, when the call came out to go and to fight for the Lord, because God said, this is the day, let's do this, we're ready. Some of the people stayed home. They stayed home. They weren't, they weren't willing. Reuben said, let me think about it. Seriously, like I'm going to think this is a pretty urgent call. We're about to go into battle against the dude who's got 900 chariots of iron. We need your help. Let me think about it. That's what the tribe of Reuben did. That's what they said. Gilead, Dan, and Asher, maybe they were saying, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I can get away. I don't know if I can get away from the boats. I mean, I got, I got a lot of work to do on the boats. We've got to repair the sails. You know, we've got to do some stuff. Like that. I don't know. This, I don't, that just, you know, war doesn't fit into my schedule right now. You know, I'm a, I'm a little busy. That's not going to work with my schedule. Actually, it kind of sounds a little bit risky to me. That's not willingness. I'll tell you what willingness is. Look at verse 18. Right? The, the two tribes that really stepped up. Zebulun is a people who did what? They risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. That's what willingness is. It's what Naphtali and Zebulun did. It's a heart that says yes, followed by actions that say yes. It's a full-out engagement of heart, soul, mind, and strength in response to what God is calling you to do.
That's the kind of heart that God wants to use. And all of us in this room, God has a plan. He has a call on our life. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to Jesus in response to this amazing love that he has shown to you by dying on the cross, you have a call on your life. The call on your life is to follow him. You have this amazing sense of purpose and and calling, even as Jesus left the Great Commission for all disciples, for us to make disciples. That's our calling. So if you're here this morning, you're a business owner. Right? The calling on your life is to make disciples with your business. To leverage your business for the kingdom of God. To work with your employees, to whatever, whatever it takes place, to leverage your kingdom... Your, your, your business for the kingdom of God. If you're married here today, God has a specific call on your life. Ephesians chapter 5. You have a specific call on your life. The specific call on your life is to display this amazing love that Jesus Christ had for the church in your relationship with one another. That's how you make disciples through your marriage, Right? You, you, just, you display this absolute amazing love that Christ has, has for the church. If you're a parent here, right, and you're a follower of Christ, you have this calling on your life to purposely make disciples of your children. If you're a neighbor, you're called to love your neighbors, to live out that calling to declare to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only, not only display it, but actually talk to them about it, your own story of faith. Yeah, that, that's what you do. You're here, you're part of Harvest. You have this calling in your life to make disciples, so you do this here. You interact with one another. You work with the leaders of the church. You discover what your spiritual gifts are. And, and you begin to serve. Why? Because you have this calling on your life. The willing heart says, I have been called by God. I am going to respond. I'm not going to think about this long. I'm not going to say this is too risky. I'm not going to stay home with the boats. I'm going to jump in. Why? Because God's called me. Some of you here this morning, I got to believe this to be true. Some of you here this morning, God is actually right now, are going to call you into vocational ministry. You're going to get to do stuff like I do. What an absolute privilege. What an absolute responsibility. What an amazing calling. Are you willing? It feels too risky. Are you willing? And maybe for a very few of you, Jesus maybe even ask you at some point to lay down your life for him. It, it may be here, it may be overseas, it may be, I don't know where. But are you willing? Are you willing? 
Is your response to all of that? I, 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 don't, I don't know. If it works out, I guess. If it works out in my favor, I guess I'll do it. Or let me think about it. Or I, you know, I'm kind of busy. I'm kind of busy with that, with other, some other things. So it's not going to work with my goals and dreams for my life. That sounds kind of risky to me. Or is your response, no, no, I, I will. I know what Jesus Christ has done for me. So I am absolute willing to risk my life to the death for him. If God really loved me with such a radical love that Jesus Christ displayed for you and me on the cross, if he really loved us like that, what's your response to that? Because God loves to use a willing heart. A willing heart. Believe this. God has a plan that he alone fulfills. Grasp this truth. He uses whomever he wants to fulfill his mission. And now, act on this. He wants to use your willing heart. So what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to do this right now. Okay, like right this second. For some of you, you might be hearing these things, going through this story, and you're saying, wow, you know, like that, I, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm not that will. I'm not willing. I, I'm not, I don't have that willing heart. I, I know the Spirit of God is telling me right now that I need to have that willing heart. All right, and I'm going to ask you in just a minute, if that's, if that's you, I just want you to, to, as an act of submission to the Lord, just stand where you are, and you're going to stand where you are, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that God would give you just an amazing sense of love for him so that you can act out in response to that. Or maybe some of you here this morning, maybe you just need to reaffirm. You need to reaffirm your willingness, or your willingness to God, to, that you have a willing heart, whatever he's calling you to. Maybe some of you, you know that God has been calling you to something, and you have been just saying, no, 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 no. No, and God is saying to you right now, say yes. You stand up right where you are right now, and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would just give you the courage and the ability to just kind of follow through in your willingness. So if that's you, if you feel like you, you, you need to do that, just stand right where you are right now. Let's just stand right where you are right now. All right, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we believe this to be true. That you have a plan that you alone fulfill. And God, we know that that you can use whomever you want, however you want. But we're standing before you right now and we are declaring to you that our hearts are willing to respond to the call of God on our lives whether we're parents, whether it's in our business, whether it's here at the church, for the few perhaps here today that are sensing that God is calling them to give their lives in a way to to love the church, to serve the church with, with the fullness of their lives in a vocational way, God, for them to... God, we just... We love you because you have first loved us. You loved us with a, a love that is beyond really our imagination 
We, uh, we know so little of it. We experience so little of it. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's so high. It's so long. And so I pray for these who are standing before you right now. And I pray. I just, we pray together that you would give them a sense of, of courage and the ability to follow through with their willing heart. Today they're saying to you, I am willing. And so God, now, now take that heart and use it to make a difference. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.